Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida. (laughs) Welcome back to the third and final part of our series on Jane Eyre, where we're going to mostly be talking about adaptations and spinoffs of Jane Eyre. And some book recommendations as well, but very few. One of the things that we found was difficult about uh, how to talk about this immense list of adaptations is that there's no um, one best adaptation because in a given one there is a best Rochester, there's a best Jane, and there's a best script, and they're all in different adaptations. Exactly, exactly. So you end up having to pick your favorite one for different reasons. And and also it depends on what you like and so forth. I think um, actually the first thing overview I want to give is that in the book, and we didn't really talk about this too much, in the book, Jane is plain. She's a plain Jane. She's not pretty. She's small. Uh, she's thin. And she's pale and kind of intense, apparently. But she's not pretty. And Rochester is not handsome. He's not good looking. <laughs> He's not handsome. He may be intense. He may be brooding. He may be prepossessing. Viral. Viral. Yeah. But he's not good looking. And... You are going to be hard-pressed to find any adaptation where Jane is actually actually not pretty. Uh, and you'll be hard-pressed to find a Rochester who is not handsome except for a couple. And it's, I guess they, they're, more, they're more willing to allow the man not to be handsome than the woman to not be pretty. I think there's one Jane that I agree just is pretty plain, and that's yeah. about it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we, we need to say that. Okay, so where, where do you want to start? Shall we talk about, should we just go through them? or? Yeah, maybe we should just go kind of chronologically. I think that's the best. Yeah, and if they're not that interesting, like the first one. Right. This is the 1934 version, which stars Virginia Bruce and Colin Clive, which kind of freaked me out, because Colin Clive was, if you remember him from Frankenstein in 1931, he's Dr. Frankenstein who goes, it's alive! It's alive! <laughs> he's like a crazy intense guy, and here he's thin and kind of weedy and nice. Nice as hell. Yeah, this one is one of the looser adaptations. It, yeah, I mean, the story is... is somewhat close but the characters are nothing like i mean um jane played by virginia bruce she's blonde with ringlets and she's wearing fancy clothes and she's just kind of strident at times and, and it, then also kind of yielding yeah and she's you know very because he's kind of at ease she definitely doesn't seem like a a working class governess kind of character and the, the adele which is the the ward that he has she's giant she's like <laughs> she's huge. Well, she's like 11 years old or something. I don't well, know. She's, she's way she, older than she's supposed she to be. She seems bigger than that. She seems like she's like post-pubescent. She looks like she's like 13 or 14 years old. I don't know. But this one has got like, you're right, it, does, it has some kind of wacky stuff in it, doesn't it? Yeah, he has some dinner parties and there are these old guys and the and the girl's doing a silly act for them and she's falling in vases. and Yeah, the Adele and she gets stuck in a tree. Yeah. And yeah, and it's sort of weird stuff like that. And, and he's like super nice. He's like serving Jane tea and they're having chats. and, and Yeah, and, so the tension's not there at all. Yeah, it really isn't. It really isn't. I don't even remember a whole lot about how it all devolved. So, I mean, that one's okay if you're interested in historical stuff. But I would say if you just love Jane Eyre and want to see a real adaptation, this one is one you should skip. 
it's not that bad, but it's not not recommended, I don't think. Agreed? Yeah. yeah. Then we have a whole podcast where we talk about uh, Val Luton movies. And so we do talk in depth about I Walked with a Zombie. 1943. And we, you know, we include this one because we had watched it. Um, but it, again, is a very loose. Very, very loose. It takes place in the Caribbean. Bertha is a zombie, or is she? But she, she's a zombie who walks around and... It, it's very loose, but it's very good. Yeah, highly recommend. We won't discuss it in terms of, you know, closeness to a Jamie. Yeah, and I would say just go go to a, our Val Luton podcast series and we will go in depth about everything about that film that's interesting. But it is recommended. Highly. But not if you not if you want it to be Jane Eyre, but we recommend it as a film, definitely. And then the classic, the one that really became the classic, which was um, the 1944 version starring Joan Fontaine and Orson Welles. And Orson Welles at this time was, I don't know, hot wouldn't be the word. I Honestly, I kind of find Orson Welles kind of hot. He's tall. He, I don't know. He's probably wearing a corset in this one. Yeah. Broad shoulders, uh, intense He does intensity. have the intensity. I mean, there's a scene where she looks down out of the window and he's walking across the courtyard with his cloak flying behind him, which was extremely romantically exciting. And he also did uh, do some kind of makeup on his face where when I read the book, which I, I started reading it, I think, after we watched this one, he really tries to do Rochester. And so he has modeled his face. Uh, he even changed the bridge of his nose to be straight the way it's described in the book. And his lips are very full in this. I think more full than we see him anywhere. I don't know what what he did. but And Rochester apparently had full lips in the book. So he, he did everything to match the physical description. And I think in his manner and demeanor and his acting, he did everything he could to be Rochester. He's good. He's too young, obviously. Yeah, he's 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 and and uh, Joan Fontaine is Jane Eyre. She's she's just too beautiful. I mean, she's exquisitely beautiful. She's small and mm-hmm. she's pale, but she's no she's not Jane Eyre. And I think her acting is terrible. Yeah. Ugh. She's very. This is a very simpering Jane, which is kind of my biggest issue with this film as like an old Hollywood period piece. The visuals are very striking. I love like there's a lot of I actually love about it. Mm-hmm. But the romance part, not so much. It's terrible. And she's, well, just frankly, I think Joan Fontaine is, was a terrible actor. Uh, she also is in Rebecca, where she's exactly the same. And, and she was in another film with Cary Grant. It was a Hitchcock film. And she was terrible in that. And she's always the same. She's kind of like, oh, I'm simple. Oh, I'm so delicate. Ooh. And I just, I hate her. And it's interesting <laughs> that she's sisters with Olivia de Havilland, right. who's a spitfire. I really like, I love Olivia. Right. But anyway, she's very pretty. The only thing that, that she offers the film is that she's pretty, and then that's wrong for the role. But anyway, this film was directed by Robert Stevenson, and I thought it was very interesting that the screenplay was by John Hausman and Aldous Huxley. Mm. Do you know Aldous Huxley? I, 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 Brave New World? Yeah, right, okay. Author of Brave New World, and John Hausman was part of Wells's Mercury Theater, and he was a, a director and actor of some note. I, I don't think you are really are familiar with him, but you know people in old movies and TV shows know him. So that was kind of a big deal. And this film is beautifully shot. Yeah. Black and white, atmosphere gothic. Great gothic sets. Yeah, yeah very, very much meant for the shadow to fall on the floor and crisscross patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, it definitely is not realistic looking. No. <laughs> and is it the only one where the, there's a scene in Jane Eyre where 
Rochester basically is holding her and she agrees to marry him and a tree is riven by by lightning, lightning yeah I think it's the only one that has that yeah it is kind of yeah it's awesome why not Just yeah do I know. it. it's, it's in like, the book like it's dramatic as hell and it's the kind of thing that makes you kind of go woo 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 you know wow you went for it man and they did it well mm-hmm. I mean it was really really cool and so and I guess in this one this one does have two of my favorite characters, though. Actually, three of my favorite characters of all the remakes. And, of course, they're small characters. And that is the young Jane. Love her. She's played by Peggy Ann Garner, uh, who uh, also was in a Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which was an Academy Award-winning film. She's a lovely little actor and so sincere, so sweet, but spunky enough, but still like a child is spunky, not a preternatural like uh like an adult right yeah it's very sweet and like her friend helen burns is not religious at all and is quite spunky herself and that's played by amazingly a young elizabeth taylor they're really fun in this one they're stamping around the yard in the rain after they get in trouble and stuff and yeah it just feels it they actually feel like kids yeah they do and then i love mr brocklehurst played by henry danielle he's an actor i have loved since i first started watching old movies when i was you know young he's got sharp features and he's got a nasal voice and that kind of gives him a a nasty edge and he plays the villain so well he's kind of handsome though he is like he could play he can either play the noble uh stern upright guy or the the nasty one yeah exactly and he's yeah and he's just he always he always delivers on that that if you want to see him in another film, if you've seen Camille with Greta Garbo, he plays the uh, the count that right. she's uh, uh, the courtesan too, and uh, so that that's pretty much it. So I I recommend. Actually, I think sorry. they're a fourth of our favorite. <gasps> oh, that's right. Yeah. Our other favorite minor character is in this one as well, um, Adele in this, uh, which who is the the French uh, ward of Rochester. So she's this cute little French girl. And she has ringlets in this one, and she's as pretty as a doll. But she's also just—it could be saccharine, it could be annoying. But she's, she's adorable. So cute. Her, well, it's actually, and and the the child playing her is not French. Margaret mm. Margaret uh, O'Brien is the little girl, plays the little girl, and she's an American mm. uh, child. And so she, but she puts on the Frenchness, and she's the right size and the right age. She's probably about six six or seven in this and she is fantastic in this she's so adorable i usually find adele to be just a pain in my ass and i just sort of like (laughs) she's a placeholder but i really i wanted to know more i wanted to see more of her she was so cute yeah and uh if again margaret o'brien if you like her interested in her she did a fantastic turn best role as a child actor in meet me in st louis as the the littlest sister of judy garland in that movie she's so funny she like decapitates her dolls or something. Oh, she's some she does some crazy thing in that movie. Anyway, yeah. So this one has a really a lot to recommend it mm-hmm. uh, beyond the fact that uh, the insipid the insipid uh, is romance insipidity of Jane. Yeah, but uh, and there is no Sinjin Rivers in this, and they, they yeah they, they really simplified that. it. Yeah, but it was good. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. So that is that is a recommendation uh, if you want to have that kind of classic experience. Um, now, the next one Zoe hasn't seen. I only saw it. It was 1970, starring Susanna York and George C. Scott. Now, George C. Scott, he's almost too ugly for Rochester. <laughs> he doesn't have... I mean, he's a... Uh, George C. Scott, who played Patton, for example, very strong, very prepossessing screen presence. He's rough, and he's got the voice, and there's a lot that 
works for Rochester, but he's not dark. Um, he's not really brooding in the same way. He's more petulant. I think he's actually a little too old to play Rochester. He's you know because Rochester in this he's only like thirty eight because uh, Jane's eighteen. Right. So he's about thirty seven, thirty eight. He's not that old, you know, overall. And and he's too old. And uh, Susanna York is a very tall, cool, beautiful, lithe kind of lily of a woman, and she's way too beautiful. I remember seeing it. And I thought it was okay. Don't have a lot to say about it. I didn't think it was that great. Nineteen eighty three, five and a half hour BBC adaptation starring. Zella Clark and Timothy Dalton. Yeah, so this one is one that we almost didn't watch, I want to say, but glad we did. Oh, I'm really glad we did. Now, it's interesting because you'll say, Zella Clark, who? Well, Clark had been a, a dancer in ballet, and she had a, only a few roles, and this was one of her roles. And then she was terrible. She's the worst Jane Eyre. She's even worse than Joan Fontaine, in my opinion. She's not pretty. No, she's she's the one who really strikes the plain note yeah. as far as Jane goes. Not ugly. I mean, I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying she she is kind of plain, kind of regular looking. Yeah, and she I don't I don't know if she's the worst, but she's she's just very plain all the way through. And at first, at first, I was almost kind of into it because I felt like mm-hmm. she was doing kind of a mature Jane and one that could kind of like stand up for herself. But then as it went on, it just became very one note, and she couldn't do the passion. And it was, she couldn't act. I mean, she just, she could say her lines without making a mistake. Sure. But that's about it as far as I was concerned. And she could hit her marks, but that was it. I, I, I thought she was terrible myself. And then you'll say Timothy Dalton, hopefully you'll go, oh yeah, I know who he is. He was James Bond. He did two, two James Bond films for a while and he became pretty famous. And if you listen to our Wuthering Heights episode, you know who Timothy Dalton is because he was also Heathcliff. And surprising, surprise, surprise, he's the best Rochester. Yeah, yeah. In our opinion. He has got the Bronte thing nailed. Yeah, he's the best Heathcliff and the best Rochester. The only thing against him, the only thing against him is Rochester is he is too damn handsome. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's distractingly good looking when he's this young. (laughs) Yeah. And so it is, yeah, that makes it a little bit difficult, especially because they leave in some of the lines where she says, you are nothing much to look at yourself. And you're just like, come on, you could you just cut that out of the script. Know, like, it's just not working. It's so unrealistic. But he, uh, I think we watched a lot more of these. This was one of the, the last adaptations we watched together before mm-hmm. prepping for the podcast. And it was very refreshing. Um, there's a lot of variety in terms of Rochester, but Timothy Dalton was the first one that made me feel, because I was kind of... I, was I don't a, get Rochester. I was a little soured on Rochester in the sense that, like, <laughs> I understand the things that make him good to be a romantic hero, and I understand, like, how he works in the book and stuff, but he's kind of shitty in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so this depiction of him, it's the same lines, it's the same, like, you know, all the things he's supposed to be doing. He's still brusque and kind of confusing at times, but he brings the charm, and he suddenly makes you understand why Rochester is charming, charismatic, and... Yeah, why he's bringing in Blanche to to fire up Jane's jealousy, and he's being a kind of um, rude to Jane or brusque. Or, why, when he's willing to marry her, you know, when he already has a wife and make her com- commit adultery. Yeah, you know? or not adult. Uh, well, or, uh, bigamy, bigamy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and the, uh, the thing is, is that as I watch Dalton, you can almost see a little bit the wheels turning in his in his intellect, but you can tell he is closely. Read, he didn't just read the book, didn't just read the script. He closely studied it. Now, Dalton is one of those actors who was in the uh, um, Royal Dramatic 
theater, what is Rada, who was in the Shakespeare Company. He did a lot of Shakespeare, you know, so he is a real, like, sort of real thespian. And you can tell he parsed this role. He read this book. He studied this character, and he figured out with every beat where this person was emotionally and what was going on inside him. And by knowing that and being the actor he is, of being able to act it, I could see how Rochester within one sentence would shift from being insecure to being happy and then being angry. And he, I could just see him shift, make, make through these shifts in, in a really brilliant way so that I really understood and felt Rochester. And I think that was the problem with Zella Clark is she didn't have any of that ability. And so she wasn't matching him. He was just, he was, he was acting way above her ability. Yeah, absolutely. He's the one who builds the rapport between them because he's doing all the work. Mm -hmm. But like, he really introduces into the dynamic of adaptations of Jane Eyre, the idea that they're kind of, they're, they are companionable. And even though they like kind of battle wills with each other, and he can also be kind of a, a brusque jerk. Um, that they enjoy talking to each other, mm -hmm. and then that's kind of where their connection is, is that they have this banter. Yeah. Um, more than just them sniping at each other. Well, and, and they do, and he, and he helps her deliver it as banter. Mm hmm So you hear the banter rather than hear the lines as angry. Yeah, or, and just kind of firing out of each of their mouths. Like, yeah. they really, it works together so you, you feel like you're listening to a cogent conversation yeah, exactly exactly so i i do recommend this one now it's five and a half hours but so for a longer version this would be my number one choice just just to see dalton and boy can that guy wear a puffy sleeve shirt Ugh. yeah wow and uh, there's not i mean the, the thing is now also the the production values are not that great because this was done in the 80s so um the film or whatever everything is kind of dull it's kind of brown it uh, doesn't have beautiful vistas or anything like a lot of these places. It, the production of interiors. They're yeah. okay. They're yeah. okay, but it's it's really the acting. Also, this is the number one most faithful adaptation of any of them. I mean, there is nothing in this adaptation that is not in the book. Every single beat or movement or word. Now, of course, not everything in the book is in there, but everything is absolutely accurate. And they have a lot of things. This is the only one that has the witch scene. So those of you who read the book, you know there's a, a party scene right. where a supposedly a gypsy woman who's a witch comes and is doing people's fortunes and telling their fortunes. And it's really Rochester dressed up. Just having fun with people and trying to poke at Jane. It's very strange because you're like, how could he disguise himself as this old woman? Right. But... Well, it's not the only one where the scene occurs, but it's the only one where Rochester actually is the one doing it. Right. And so Dalton actually dresses up and has his face covered and it has a pipe and it's doing a voice. And it's like, wow, that it's was pretty good. good. That was good. I mean, the, the, the scene itself is, is kind of ridiculous and hard. Uh, and so to, so to be able to pull it off at all is is pretty good. And then he then he flings it off and he's laughing. He's really laughing. He seems like really he's having a good joke, you know. So I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. So I do want to say that. So in other words, so this is the most faithful and the best for the longest. If you're going to go for a long one, right? Right. Okay. So then there's the 1996 version, which with um, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg and William Hurt. Not one of my favorites. I'm not a William Hurt fan. I don't think he's much of an actor. This one, yeah, I mean, I we had to pull up the, the photos of the actors online because I couldn't remember which one this was. And it's, I, I don't really, yeah, I don't even really remember that much about this specific adaptation. Charlotte Gainsbourg, she's an all right Jane Eyre, but she's too beautiful and she's kind of 
very extremely reserved and you don't really get the yeah she's she's insipid she doesn't have any of the she doesn't show the metal of jane she's just sort of always kind of positioning herself in just the right angle she looks yeah. really she looks really good she does look really good and then william hurt he's unattractive enough to be rochester but he's blonde and he's not prepossessing again he doesn't have the fire and the yeah i feel like in this one like this was kind of the tired dog uh rochester yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. like shaggy shaggy tired old dog uh <laughs> rochester and so he he can he snaps at her a few times but he's also kind of more like he's more like the older guy who wants to tell her about the world yeah you know yeah and he's just kind of tired out he had a oh god everything's so hard uh but in this one uh i would say this one has holds the place of having the worst young Jane. Mm. This is the one, the young Jane, where Jane is a militant protester. And even though the Hel- you know the Helen Burns is all, she's like a, got this beautiful abundance of, of red hair. Right. And they're going to cut it off. And then, so Jane, in solidarity, cuts her hair too. Right. <laughs> and she's always speaking up as a, like an adult, like a young adult, like a young pain in the ass adult. And, uh, you know, just, I don't know, just being all feminist. And all, I'm for feminism, but not bad acting. <laughs> and I have to say, and Anna Paquin plays her, who, mm. has, who even has an Oscar. but And she's young. And I think it was just, she's just terrible. I hated it. Yeah, I think we fast even fast-forwarded maybe a little bit. Yeah, we did. That's what happened. <laughs> That's why I don't remember that well, because it was just so awful, the early things. And then I should note that Joan Plowright plays... Um, Mrs. Fairfax, and Mrs. Fairfax is the housekeeper. We haven't mentioned her before, but she's one of the characters, the housekeeper at the at Thornfield Hall. And she was the, I don't know if you know this, she was the wife of Laurence Olivier. Oh, no. A very famous actor. She's like way younger. She's like 40 years younger than him. And she's a well-known luminary of the English stage. I've never thought she's a very good actor, frankly. I think she's way over overblown but then they have um a couple of of people i really liked in this and one of them was the one who played mrs reed which is fiona shaw i've just had her eye my eye on her forever she's so good uh uh, and was such a beauty when she was really young just a irish kind of beauty i think she's irish and uh, i've all liked her a lot and then also billy whitelaw who is just a star and a standard and a character actor and everything of stage and screen and TV in Britain. And she plays uh, Grace Poole. <laughs> and the thing about Whitelaw is she's very thin and uh, kind of almost a little bit scrawny now because she's older here. She's quite a bit older. And Grace Poole is this guard and the nursemaid to this crazy woman. So she is, in the book, she's, she's described as coarse and large and beefy and kind of like almost bovine, you know. But she has to be big and really strong to physically um, restrain this mad woman. And it's hard to believe that uh, Billy Law could because she's rather small. But I'll tell you, one look at from those gimlet eyes, and I'm like, okay, I'll do whatever <laughs> you want. And I, I really liked her in it because she was really, the, really scary. <laughs> she was kind of the best one, great, the best grace for me. But I don't rec- really recommend that one. I don't. I wouldn't recommend that one uh, from 1996. 
But the following year on, on BBC TV, they had another one starring Samantha Morton and Karen Hines, and I'm not sure if I'm saying that name right. But he is an actor that I know well and have really enjoyed a lot in many different roles. He was in Rome, and he played Julius Caesar in Rome, if, if, you, if anybody's seen that. And Samantha Morton, who's just one of my very favorite actors ever. I love her. Um, she's, uh, and I think, to me, she's the best Jane. I agree. She's the one that sticks in my mind when I think about all the things we watched. She has these she has these intense blue eyes, which Jane, you know, doesn't have in the book, but it really gives her that sort of ethereal, otherworldly. Yeah, she's small. She's pale. Uh, she's pretty, but she's not, but she's pretty in a plain way. She's not uh, somebody who stands out like, oh my gosh, that's a gorgeous woman, but more like, you know, in, in, in an underspoken, quiet way, which I think works for me. And on top of that, She's a tremendous actor, and she, boy, I would love to see her with Timothy Dalton. I know, right? <laughs> oh, my God, she'd be so good, because you do see the work, the inner workings, whether you, uh, you know, say, oh, I agree with that choice or not. You see the inner workings of, of that she's quiet, she's small, she's got a, sort of a, a little quiet, almost weak voice, but through that comes this passion and intensity that flares up of emotion that you can see is is triggered by by what's going on in the text and in the plot and so it it really works very well yeah so I, I she's my fave in terms of that role yeah I like her too and this this um this version has a higher production value so mm-hmm. it's a lot prettier and nicer to look at it's very the yeah the ones. grounds are beautiful yeah and Karen Hines I think I described him, th- their age difference is, pr- even though Samantha Morton is older than 18, their age difference is pretty accurate or it feels yeah. like it's the right gap. Um, yeah. And I, I think I described him as like the patriarchal Rochester. Yeah, yeah, he is. So <laughs> out of all the different versions. He's definitely a, a, a full-grown man in his prime. So he's not the sad dog. He's not the tired guy. He's not the hot guy. He's definitely, um, Karen Hines is, is uh, he, I think he fits. He's not good looking in a typical way, he, but he is very prepossessing and has has a really good presence. I think he has a good presence. He's very commanding and and brusque, and he is kinder. At the same time, that like I watch that and I'm like, I wouldn't want to marry him. Yeah, like oh, I'd take him. I like him. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like him, but he's not as good. His his interpretation is not as nuanced or as interesting or as uh, delightful as Timothy Dalton's. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he tends to push the extremes, because he's supposed to be a romantic character, too far. And I think that's the fault of the director. Because sure, I yeah. know that Hines is a really good actor. So I think if he'd been directed a little bit with a little bit more nuance, that he would have yeah. he would have brought it home much better. Uh, the he's- thing... I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. He is yelling a lot and he's grabbing her by the hand yeah. and really dragging her along and stuff. At, the, at least Samantha Morton is strong enough to kind of hold up to that. Because yeah. like, if it was someone else, I might be like, this is too much for me and this is kind of, you know. It's, yeah, if, if you were really... Too hurt. aggressive. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And if it was really crumbling her. Now, this one has my favorite, Bertha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Bertha. I mean, she's... So Bertha's Rochester's wife. The one in the attic. And she is... Um, and she doesn't really appear much in the film, or really even in the book. I mean, she just is kind of this this little presence. And she's played by an actor, I don't even know who this is, Sophie Reisner. And it's even hard to find the name and find who's playing her, but she's great. She really is seems mad. 
and she's like got lipstick smeared on her face and she's kind of the it's it's interesting because she's the messiest Bertha. Yeah. She's also the biggest Bertha in terms of Bertha's supposed to be physical, kind of tall and, yeah. and large and yeah, intimidating. But and she's the most colorful. She has this room, this padded room, and she's running around. And she's kind of wild, and yet at the same time, yeah, in her madness, she almost has a sense of humor about. Like there's yeah. a sense of humor that comes from the role, not from making fun of someone who's mentally ill. Right. Right. Exactly. And also, you know, and 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 this is and this is a part that I really that really like oddly enough how one thing can turn you on a character that really turns me on to to Rochester is that when he goes in there unlike every other Rochester who's like got kind of a disgusted compassion or a hatred or just like a a, like it's all about me and I, I so much what I don't want he sees her and he, it's not what he wants in his life, and it, and he and he regrets the fact that he married her, and but yet she is his wife, and she comes to him, and the, one of the big things in the book is that she's a an nymphomaniac, and uh, the, the, and so he kind of, she comes to him kind of sexually, and he says no, Bertha, and then they have the struggle, and and he ends up having to restrain her, but he restrains her with a loving embrace, and he actually strokes her hair with pity and compassion for her. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, I really think that's an insight into why, for when they interpret Rochester that way, why he is so fundamentally a good person. Because he does have sympathy and he does have compassion for her, even though her existence makes his life a hell. And I, 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 so anyway, I always love that birth. I love her moment. Yeah. It's just a moment that she gets. It's just a great job. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know, don't care for, there's nobody else that really sticks out in this one for me. And then we come to the more recent 2006 four-hour BBC series. Which is maybe the last one we watched? Uh, the, it, no, I think the uh, 1996 one was the last one we watched. Okay. Or did we? I don't, I oh, think... no, you're right, we did. Yeah, that's right. I thought you'd seen this yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. And then we come to the 2006 four-hour BBC series starring Ruth Wilson and Toby Jones. Toby Jones. <laughs> Different actor, Toby Stevens. Okay, let's start that over. And then we come to the 2006 version, the four-hour BBC series starring Ruth Wilson and Toby Stevens. And uh, side note, Toby Stevens is Maggie um, Smith's son. Uh, yeah, this one... I, honestly, this I think this is the last one we watched and we fast-forwarded through a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, it was... I, the first time I saw it, I really liked it a lot. But it's very heavily rewritten. Not badly, but it's modernized mm-hmm. a lot. And I have to tell you, if I was going to marry a Rochester, this is probably really the one I'd want to marry. Because <laughs> he's hot, hot, hot. He's kind. He's gentle. He's sexually sensitive. Right. Yeah, There's. that's <laughs> just... right. They have these sensual scenes in it where, you know, he's like trying to get her to go with him even though they can't be married. And he's like caressing her. And her, so it's, her face, it's modern and in that yes, way. All. And, yet, and, but, and also throughout the whole thing, the, that whole edge of Rochester, basically they change Rochester. He's not really Rochester. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a gorgeous, you know, uh, hat-wearing... Troubled guy. Troubled guy who's just full of sensitivity... And so they really make it, they, they kind of retrograde it or um, retrofit it for a, a more PC point of view. And Jane is a lot more, yeah, she's a little bit down on herself for her looks compared to Blanche Ingram, but really she's pretty assertive. She's, she doesn't seem to be on a path of self-discovery or anything like that. She's just kind of going through a situation. Yeah. So I, yeah, 
That, but I mean, I'm not saying not not recommending it, but just know this is not pr- really accurate to the book. But okay, yeah, it is pretty good. So okay. whatever. And then the final one is the 2011 version with Mia Wasikowska and uh, Michael Fis- Fassbender, which I saw in the theater. We saw it together, didn't we? We watched it together at the like second run three dollar movie theater in our city. Um, but that was 2011, and so I don't remember it at all. Um, I remember it, and I remember it uh, is very beautiful. I also remember very well that it was um, that I was very I was excited that oh my God, Michael Fassbender is going to be Rochester. That was exciting to me because he is he's just one of my favorite actors, and I just think he's so incredibly attractive. So of course that's going against Rochester, but I I just feel like as a as an actor he is an incredible talent, and I just knew he could pull it off. Well, he was fine, but the movie spent eighty percent. I I can't even say because it felt like eighty percent. Maybe it wasn't that much, but they spent so much time with her at the Rivers's house. I'm going. That's not what it's about. And the, the actor who plays, Jamie Bell, who plays St. John Rivers, he was fine. But St. John Rivers is not an interesting character. No, I mean, well, I think he could. And nobody really brings out all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. All of the St. John's and every one, they're really watered down. He's either kind of a strict guy or he's like a nice guy. Yeah. And and so the thing that's fast, or that, that is interesting about that character is the way that he pushes on Jane and how he's, he's kind of an antagonist in my eyes. Yeah. And so like... That could have been interesting, but... They didn't do that. And uh, so I, I think that they thought they were doing something really cool and interesting, but they weren't. And I don't really care for this version. Mm. Um, I think that uh, the, all the... I think the other versions, other than the 1934 version, are better versions than this. Yeah. Well, no, I'll take that back. Because there is that one with uh, John Hurt. Okay. It's like the third from the bottom. <laughs> They have some really good people in this. They've got uh, Sally Hawkins, who I love. She plays Mrs. Reed. And Judy Dench is Mrs. Fairfax. I love a little Judy Dench. But I don't, you know, they, they just didn't really stick out as being particularly interesting. And uh, so I don't really, I don't know, don't really recommend it. It's all right. Agreed. Yeah. All right, so, so that concludes the list of uh, and we gave you an insight. So, oh my, I ha- I do have to say, I just my eye, I, I do have my computer open while we're talking, so I can remind myself. And I my eye just caught a picture of um, Michael Fassbender in a puffy shirt. Yeah, <laughs> my heart did a little bump. <laughs> <laughs> so there is that. You can watch it if you want to. Yeah, get yeah, yeah, that is that is good good stuff. Um, Okay, so just to, to, to wrap up, I know um, Zoe wanted to say a few things about Bertha and her place and meaning. Uh, I, I wanted to point out that there is a book called The Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Reese, which is a story, it's like fan fiction in a way. It's the story of Rochester in the Caribbean and his meeting with Bertha, Bertha Mason, and their... Uh, uh, what do we call it, courtship? Not even quite that. His marriage and so forth. I, um, and I think you've read about people's point of views on that. Mm-hmm. I read it and I, I, you know, that's kind of the point. I don't know, they're trying to make a point that he, that he was an opportunist. And I think she makes clear in the book that he's not. 
that his his father and brother actually forced him into the marriage because the, her family was wealthy, and uh, he was tricked. He didn't know about her. He didn't know about her, uh, mad, the madness. He didn't know about her character, and so that's where his bitterness comes in. And the book kind of maybe retrofits that a little bit. I felt like I didn't like the writing, and I it's hard getting through the book. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't like the way. I didn't like her writing style, and that had a lot to do then about my opinion, probably of her point of view. What do you think? I know that you haven't read the book, but you've read you've read criticism about it, right? Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, there's tons and tons and tons of literary and academic criticism out there about Jane Eyre and every oh. aspect of Jane yeah. Eyre. Um, and then, so I read some after the book, some feminist criticism, some post-colonial criticism, and I found that all pretty interesting. And so, yeah, I wanted to make sure that we at least kind of touch on the points, even though we kept this pretty closely focused on Jane and um, her relationships, um, which I think are the, the key parts. But um, there is, you know, Bertha, who is sort of the the gothic trope in the story as the mad woman in the attic who Rochester married. And so she's kind of, whatever you think of Rochester's choice to marry again and whether you think that the fact that he didn't send her to an asylum and he decided to keep her in a nice house instead and blah 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 like kind of however you feel like that reflects on Rochester's moral character and stuff I don't think we really need to discuss that but I do I do find Bertha an interesting character in and of herself especially because I did a lot of post-colonial studies in school and so Rochester's family was in Jamaica and Bertha they describe her a lot or Charlotte describes her a lot as like a dark woman and stuff. And so there's all this discourse about is Bertha a colonial subject? Like there, there are both white Jamaicans and black Jamaicans. Or is she part of that, uh, that upper, um, what they called mulatto at the time, but right. mixed race class of, of people who, who were landowners and slave owners. Yeah, and I feel like Charlotte in her romanticism, like that could have very well have been the case. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, there's also arguments about like what class society was like at the time and if Rochester could realistically have married, blah, 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 blah. Um, And then there's a lot of language in the book about slavery and about the English colonies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of, of interesting things to look at there that we don't need to get into today. But I have a lot of sympathy for Bertha, for sure. She's trapped in every sense in the book and, uh, you know, dies by fire in order to allow Jane and and Rochester to be together and stuff but I have more sympathy because that even now uh, when we're so enlightened it's still hard to treat what we call madness or could be called madness that that you know did she have a chemical imbalance was it genetic having a brother myself who was a paranoid schizophrenic mm-hmm. and could be called mad if he hadn't been on me- medication and uh, never was functional never was able to hold a job I I sympathize a lot with when you're dealing with someone and you're going, I have the qu- the equipment. I don't know what to do with this person. So I sympathize with him and I sympathize with her because she's not able to get help or be set up in an environment. They can't figure out what to, to do with her. You yeah. Know? But he was kind enough to realize that sending her to an institution would be horrible. Yeah. And, and part of it, I think one of the other things that people theorize about her is that she had um, venereal disease that she picked up because syphilis, yeah. yeah, syphilis, something like that, which again, causes that kind of like mental, uh, yeah, it uh, does. wildness. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and they allude a lot that, I mean, this book alludes a lot to sex in a lot of different contexts mm-hmm. and stuff. And so they make it pretty clear that she was just like sleeping around a ton 
And so there's some moral reviling, but also like Rochester, for example, it doesn't denigrate her terribly. I think what he he reacts to is what would be standard is that she shamed him because she was sleeping with all these men while he was married. So he's being cuckolded. In other words, other men were getting hold of his possession. Totally. And, and again, remember how Rochester is. Rochester sees a woman. He's attracted to her. He puts her on a pedestal. He, you know, he expects that this is going to save him. This is going to be amazing. They're going to be in the clouds in heaven forever. And it's going to be this total love. And so that might be more of it than even the social stuff in that then, and he's young. He's young when this happens because he's probably 20 and maybe Jane's just barely Jane's age. Right. When this happens. And so he's not a full grown man and he has these romantic fantasies. And it ends up not only is she just like a regular woman. She's a woman who he can't understand that she can't control herself and she's sleeping around publicly. And then she's, what What else is she doing? I forget what, is she, she urinating places and doing, I mean, things that, that directly reflect on him. And, and, and a young man with a weak ego is not going to be able to handle that very well. So um, I think that might also be a piece of it. Yeah. For what it's worth, you can check out a lot of different opinions and sort of readings of of Bertha as a character and Bertha as one of those aspects of Jane, like Jane's unfettered uh, passion. Yeah, passion and um, the violence that she wants to enact on her patriarchal oppressors. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff about that. It's all good stuff. So, um, the White Sark also see one one. By I think Jean there's Reese. a movie adaptation as well, which there I is, haven't seen. Which I've seen. And it's 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 actually a lot like the book. I liked it better than the book. But it's got that, that for myself, that kind of dream like quality to it that I don't really like. And that's why I don't like it. So I'm not saying it's not good, I'm just saying it's not my thing. But let's talk about the book we like. Yes. I, I, I don't know that we talked too much about this together, but I believe you liked it as much as I did. It's called The Air Affair. It was published in 2001, uh, written by Jasper Ford, and that's F-F-O-R-D-E because he's Welsh. And I'll just read a blurb from the back rather than trying to describe it because this book contains multitudes. Oh, it's funny. The main character of the novel, her name is Thursday Next. And it's funny, in the New York Times, the, the, uh, the, the reviewer said, she's part Bridget Jones, part Nancy Drew, and part Dirty Harry. <laughs> That's so good. It's welcome to a surreal version of Great Britain, circa 1985, where time travel is routine, cloning is a reality, dodos are the resurrected pet of choice, and literature is taken very, very seriously. England is a virtual police state where an aunt can get lost literally in a Wordsworth poem. Militant Baconians heckle performances of Hamlet, and forging Byronic verse is a punishable offense. All this is business as usual for Thursday next. Renowned special operative in literary detection. It's, it's an alternate history, uh, literature, reference, extravaganza. Yeah, it's, it's packed with, with literary references. But the key thing is, is that it's about the fact that Thursday's uncle has invented a portal where you can actually go into a book and physically meet the characters and actually be alive in the book. And the thing is, is that... If the book is written uh, like Jane Eyre in the first person, uh, as long as you don't talk to the person who's the narrator. Or be seen by them or Or be whatever. seen by them. You won't be in the book. But if you actually interact with the character who's narrating the book, you'll actually change the story itself at its source. 
And the thing is that if it's just a copy of a book, it's just the single copy. But if you get the original manuscript, it'll change the story throughout all of its versions in the entire world. And I'm not giving too much away here because we're not going to spoil this book, by the way. But what as part of the setup, what happens is this nefarious uh, Hades, uh, Atherton Hades, he goes into a Martin Chuzzlewit, Charles Dickens, and he actually kidnaps a character out of that out of the manuscript, kidnaps him out, and that character, every source from that manuscript is rewritten so that that character disappears and is no longer in the book. And what's very clever about what Ford does is that the book we have today in our world is the book without that character in it, which is how it was originally done here. And that's that's what's so fantastic about it is that he kidnaps the original manuscript of Jane Eyre and is going to do nefarious things in it. And one thing that they um, very clearly, very early in the book tell you is that the way Jane Eyre ends is she runs away from Rochester, she meets up with St. John Rivers, she marries St. John Rivers. No, she goes to India without marrying St. John Rivers. Oh, she goes, okay. So she holds true to herself enough. Okay, but... okay, thank you. And that's the end and of that's Jane the end. in the air affair. And they say over and over and over how, how that end sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so then, then the book goes from there. And there's so much in this book that's delightful. There's a, uh, one of her co-workers, his name is Stoker, and he is a vampire hunter. Mm-hmm. And so he goes after vampires, so there are vampires in this world. There's just, just all kinds of, there's, there's the Will Speaks, which I love, which are like, they're like those, like a gumball machine, except instead of putting your money in and getting gum, there's like a, a little bust of a character from a Shakespeare play, and you put your money in, and it gives you a soliloquy. Right. <laughs> One of my favorites is the um, that Richard III is basically the Rocky Horror Picture Show of this world. <laughs> and so everybody goes to see Richard III play over and over again. Everyone in the audience knows all the words and they choose people from the audience to act it out. And right. they all like, put on sunglasses at certain times <laughs> and stuff like that. It's very clever the way he describes it and entertaining. And this is a series. So he did several books uh, for Thursday Next. So you can follow through her trajectory and uh, learn you know follow through the, the next book after this is uh, lost in a good book and so he's very clever very and, and the puns are really good puns I mean they're really good and smart yeah and um, there was another book called Shades of Grey that he wrote that I loved it should have been a series but it's a standalone and, yeah yeah there's supposed excellent. to be and when I read about it there's supposed to be two of them like at least one more and he's never gotten around to writing the second book and I what I heard was that the first book was really hard to write and I can understand it's tight because he what's good about Ford is he doesn't leave big holes he doesn't just go oh well you know I'm not gonna worry about that his the, the world and the plot are tight so that yeah of course it's fantasy but he he's not lazy at all, right? And so, and and this book, the other book, The Shades of Grey, was about a world of color where your cast in society was based on the colors you could or could not see, right? So, um, for example, people who could only see who were colorblind could only see black, uh, black and white and gray. They were the lowest cast, and then they went then it, then it went up from there. And the whole world is built around this, and it is it is amazingly complex and. And, and the, the conceit is difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did it very well. 
I wish I wish he had. Yeah, it's excellent. Cigar. There's this whole thing about spoons in it that I don't even yeah. remember. They're yeah, like spoons, the most valuable thing. Yeah, they're the most valuable thing, or something. And forks are illegal, or something. Something. Or spoons are illegal. I forget what it was. I have to reread it, but it's very good. So we really, really recommend that you read Jasper Ford F F O R D E, and he has a website that's kind of fun, and you can check that out too. I'm not going to get into any more Jane Eyre adaptations or anything like that. I think, I think that's enough. Enough yeah. recommendation. Yeah, I think so. You get plenty to read now. Thanks, you guys. And we'll come back probably with some more movie and literary information and tropes and thoughts and ideas. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Grand Jesus.